Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 30-plus-year Wall Street veterans who have taken on secret identities, and I mean really secret, and gone underground in order to protect you from the knowledge of who we actually are. Our bosses wouldn't actually allow us to be speaking here on the show about these stock picks, so we've disguised ourselves and disguised our voices so they'll never know. This week, it's September uh, something, uh, 2014, and uh, we've got a show today that I think is not only going to be informative, but also perhaps exciting. What do you think, Mo? Well, at least informative. Informative. We'll shoot for that. We've got four stocks this week. This is what the Value Guys show is all about, and uh, we've got four stocks this week. We're going to do the best stocks of 2015, and I think I'm pretty sure we're the first to put out a best of list. Uh, but I'd say before we get to that, we've got some explaining to do, Mo. You know, it's been about a year since we actually put up a show. Now, there are, there are eight years of shows. Hopefully, there's a lot of exciting content out there on iTunes and et cetera. But we actually haven't delivered a show in a year, and I think we know whose fault that is, Mo. Well, you've... You don't really know who I am. At least the, the listeners don't know who I am. So they didn't see me on TV. They didn't see me get indicted. They didn't see me serve my time. But I'm out. I feel good about it. I've served my debt to society. Yeah. And I just want to say that uh, I think Steve Cohen is still a good guy. Good thing so your I'm voice back. is disguised. Isn't it? It's very disguised. And so uh, yeah. that's why. Well, uh, I never, I'm never. i glad you came forward with that. I didn't want to be the one to speak for you on I that. I think we need to actually yeah. change the introduction because we say, and our bosses will never know. But what the fact <laughs> is, after 30 years, we are the bosses. So <laughs> we what, have to. And they, in your case, they do know. Yeah. Right? That's what happens. So well, we do I need to know truth of disclosure. Well, while you've been doing that, Mo, I've uh, just been in my office. Picking small cap stocks, running a portfolio. Again, we have secret identities, but I have to say our team back in the office had really one of the best 2013s in America. And I don't, and I'm, and that's honest to God's truth. I don't want to say who they are, but if they're listening, awesome job, guys. And uh, and so 14, we've just been we've been doing what we always do, Mo. And well, you've been you know, off doing things. <clears throat> Where uh, I've been off, the only thing we had to do during the day is uh, lift weights, and so as you can see, obviously. <laughs> Amazing shape. It what is. about reading? Did they let you do any reading? No, uh, the, most of the people there didn't do much reading, but we did lift heavy objects, and I got pretty, pretty right. You look great. You look well, great. my tailor, I, I, we had to recut everything. By the way, I didn't know there. it was swimsuit only tonight. I thought it was. <laughs> well, jackets. if you've got it, flaunt it. <laughs> so anyway, one of our features, we're going to get right into it as best as we can. One of our features here is uh, Value Guys Wall Street News, and as always, uh, you know, Mo has covered the earth to find some of the best hottest stories on wall street we're gonna well talk you know about. what 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 our audience thinks is the hottest story on wall street is on the audience side of the alibaba deal the hottest story on our side is our side of the alibaba deal and That's what true. i what i mean by that is you know when you when you're just when you're not on the inside right you're inside. thinking of alibaba as a IPO where you may be able to buy it for $38 a share and it might go up and is it a play on China? That's the way you're thinking. Yeah. The way we think of it is this is how we think of it. We being you or me? We being in the industry. In the industry, okay. But you're think, you're talking bankers, capital markets. Yeah, bankers. Originators, yeah. as they say. Right. Here's, here's, what, here's how what we think of the deal. Okay. We think 
It's a $25 billion deal. It's big, big time. One of the biggest, I hear. And give me your wildest guess as to what you think the fee would be. Uh, back when I was doing that, I mean, this, the store got 7%. I've been five. out of that for a while, but I got to say it's probably at five or so, four or five. Somewhere. So the Alibaba deal generated one point two billion dollars for call it six key underwriters. That's two hundred yeah. million an underwriter. Yeah, we figured each underwriter probably commits ten bankers. AVPs, juniors, people that carry. Well, they got to all fit in one room. That's right. one way to figure it out. So, out of ten participants, that's twenty million a banker. Yeah. And say the house takes half. Yeah. That leaves ten million for you, and sometimes the house doesn't take half. So when they we look at the more. Alibaba deal, that's the way we look at it. Yeah. A lot of people, besides the investors, got very, very now. One guy is going to make $10 million on Alibaba. I wonder how many private investors are going to make $10 million on Alibaba and how long it's well, going to take them. Well, that is such a good point, and I think that it explains a little bit of why some people might want to work on Wall Street. Uh, it's just if you can get to that level where you're the one bringing that customer in the door to do a $25 billion deal... You're going to get a payday, and no. it's exhilarating to, to try. Now, whoever did that, and I don't know those guys, but you know, that might be the best, the biggest deal of their careers. Well, You've got to think of that. It's in a, the history of yeah. the market, so it is. It's a long way. It's a long slog. I mean, the guys at the top of that are thirty-year veterans, don't you think, or twenty anyway? We're thirty-year veterans. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been. I didn't make ten million dollars last year. Well, I would have, but you were. I was. You were prohibited was, from taking an income the way I understand. At least you didn't pay any tax. Did you pay tax? I did not. You not. So there there's the upside. So anyway, okay. Well, so what that's else? The you way got? we look at Alibaba. Yeah. Now, um, from my point of view on Alibaba, okay, the bankers they did well. I'm an investor. I'm a value investor. I don't even. I didn't even look at it because I, you know, I, first of all, it's Chinese. That means that the books that everyone's looking at that are printed in the prospectus and they make it look very official with just the right font that some psychologist somewhere said has the most credibility. I mean, they have the Maybe kind of money. They have the kind that. of money in these deals where they can hire a font guy. That's all he does. He gets a hundred grand. We need a font. I'm serious. I mean, they, they, there's so much money, so they're trying to persuade you the whole time to buy their deal because they're selling the deal. So you're the customer and they're going to use every trick in the book to, to sell you. One of the things investors rely on, because you know there's puffery, is the financial statements. What else do you have? I'm an analyst, right? The numbers, right? So you get into the numbers and it's like, this looks pretty good. This looks pretty good. Uh, who's the auditor? Unless the numbers are equally well, you don't know, but you rely on the auditor. So the, I always take the numbers as truth. You can fool me in an ad. You can fool me with, uh, you know, your psychoanalyst, what color your logo should be. Okay, but you're not going to fool me in the numbers. We know all the tricks in the book, how to fudge your accounting, your gross margin. We've all studied all that. But what they can fool you on is if all the numbers are made up. That's why you have auditors. You can go in, you know who the auditors are. They spend hundreds of years to build the credibility to be trusted in these types of financial dealings. In China, we they have auditors whose names are hard to pronounce. We can't take our guys in there. You, you might invest a billion dollars in Alibaba. You cannot bring your own auditors into China 
and look at the books. And for my money, I would not invest in that at any price. And so this whole thing to me is just, wow, what a nice business. I mean, the hula hoop was, uh, someone made a lot of money on that. Now, I'm not suggesting there's not a real company in there. I'm just saying that I would prefer to stay as an observer and find out exactly what the truth is down the road as to the numbers, the valuation, you know, the business. Or, or you could just invest your money in Credit Suisse, Deutsche well, Bank, I and mean, Goldman Sachs, even all the who stuff are really you... making money off of the Alibaba deal. Right, right. Well Invested said. in that. Um, last piece of news, you were, you were telling me that you were looking at the uh, situation in Scotland yesterday, the way... Another banker would look at that situation. You said it's a Scotland's secession is a bad IPO. Well, we sometimes joke around here, the shop. But you know, there was a, there was a lot of guys wanted that deal to get done. A lot of guys didn't want the deal to get done. At the center of it was Sounds a like lot our of typical workday. Yeah, day. right. At the, at the center of it is a lot of economics. What's the tax rate? Who's in charge of the money? All those kinds of things. And I think that um, there were so many people who had passion for this. And you know, maybe Scotland should be independent. I don't know. It worked for the colonies. So who am I to judge that? I just think that had somebody had a better offer, that deal could have gotten done. And uh, I'm sure there would have been a little economic pain. I'm really not talking about it from that side. They'd lose some economies of scale. But in today's world, the economies of scale are a a laptop or an iPhone 6 and an Internet connection. So, you know, the economies of scale have changed a lot since they joined up 309 years ago. So maybe you should revisit that. But I think for me, the thought was, hey, here's a group of people that want to be free. And maybe if somebody would have sweetened that deal, that that could have happened and that might have been kind of cool. That's all. That's what that was what I was saying. Well, I don't know. Anyway, so you ran a screen, to, yes, to, to weedle out our potential candidates, and it was yes, I did remarkably simple for what you were considering a long-term screen. Our best long-term yes. name for the yes. Well, Mo, bear in mind the value guys has a long history of doing as little as possible, and I think we proved that last year when we really didn't put up any shows. So in keeping with that tradition, and given the fact that, let's face it, we've moved away from being able to do a daily show, or we continue to work on the uh, technology behind that. But I thought, what better way to serve our listeners than rather than have them waiting for next week's show that might not come, let's give them all that advice in advance right now. Makes sense. Let's go right to the end of 2015. Who knows when we're going to be in the same town again. But you only came up with two Screening well, criteria. Listen, I think for that. buy and hold. Here's the thing. I think the biggest opportunity, and this is as simple as I can make it because that's all the time I had. Simplest opportunity is to go get the 52 week low list. Right. Something in there is going to go up a lot, I think it's fair to say. Now, you don't know what it is. Um, and sometimes you might run a screen. But when things look the worst, no screen might capture that because it might be emotion. Right. Or backlog or some crazy thing that we can't speak. So I just went off the 52-week low list. We took, and Mo, you're with me here. We took, I think it was 109 uh, stocks within 10% of their 52-week low. 
and we have looked through some summary data on each and every one and it's taken such a long time that we've had to have multiple beverages during this period. Bot mm -hmm. Bottles, yes. Yeah, well, and so as a result, which I'm happy about, frankly, although uh, it's taken longer than we We have come up hoped. with four names. But we have four names this week for the listeners. And, uh, and you know, I when I was screening the names... Yes, sir. It's interesting. You go to... You go to a couple of key ratios, you look at those, and you're making your decision on the key ratios. And I tend to look at the price performance to say, has this been a good stock historically to own, or has this been a dog that's just been, the markets have been flailing for five years? Val and Mo, right there. Val. Exactly. Mo. Well, you know, here's a, just an aside. <laughs> this this uh, IPO voter, this vote for Scottish independence? Yes. The betters, the betters had yeah. spot on called it over the, uh, the, the, the pollsters. I saw that, yeah. Markets are pretty good. So if we can get some, so we, you know, markets are efficient, and if we, and if we look at some of these names, what I thought was interesting was almost this yielded a group of companies that have almost uniformly had five good years of stock price performance, and this is their first year that they're having an issue. So the challenge is we start going now digging into the numbers is to ask ourselves, a company that's had five really good years of performance, this is their first down year, is it a hiccup or is it a death knell? So that's wow. kind of the key. If you can Pretty get, dramatic. If right? it's a hiccup and you're buying it at the bottom and it's still part of a, a, a five-year trend of good performance, though you know the betters beat the pollsters. Yeah, and, I, well, and the betters are the people that own these stocks. And they historically tend to be a pretty good indicator of what's going on. So it will be interesting for each company we need to ask ourselves, hiccup or fatal flaw? Yeah, I is didn't it, think of that. Is it the end of the show for these guys, or is it ready for a bounce? A lot of drama now. we got to keep this. I love this lighting, too. Yeah. Okay. So uh, first up, and actually, uh, Mo, take it away. This is your call. came first, on our screen. What we do know is this stock we're about to talk about is within 10% of its 52-week level. Well, you know, <laughs> I followed this company. It was the first, like to reveal, reveal the, the name. The first, the first company I ever followed, and it's CBS, and it's their Class B ticker symbol is CBS, the CBS. way it's been forever and ever. And, you know, when I first started looking at this company, which was in the 80s, yeah. portfolio managers were, were <clears throat> wary I knew you it. then, Mo. Yeah, because, they, because this new thing on the block called Cable was yeah. going to take what was... You know, your normal five to eight, believe it or not, listeners, five to eight channels of television. That's all that existed That's in my lifetime. Was. They were about to take that and add, you know, the plethora of new channels with cable. So they, they, they weathered the assault of cable. They weathered <clears throat> the second assault of the Internet. They have weathered the technology shifts that people have moved away from the big screen in the living room to the, to the portable screen on, a, on an iPhone. They, they've weathered all of that. I never would have thought that they would even still be around until you showed me the sheet on them. And, uh, you know, it's actually been a really good stock for the last five years. I mean, they've been up 71%, 35%, 42%, 40%, 67%. I mean, those are huge numbers, even in a good market. And this year, they're down 12 So whatever they've been doing, they've been hitting the ball out of the park. And this, to me, might be a hiccup. 
The second thing I looked at was, you know, geez, these things actually pay at a 1.1% dividend. And that's not the worst thing in the world. The, the other thing is that they've actually been growing that dividend over time. So I'm looking at these guys and thinking, all right, it's a mature company. You know, the, uh, the, the, the revenues are only growing at about 2% a year. But they've been compensating for that by taking their margins up, and the margins have gone from 17 to 21 to 24. Now they're up to 24.8, almost 25. So you got a mature company squeezing the margins, generating a lot. Of well, while sales are growing 2%, you see EBIT's growing 9 Exactly, yeah. which, which allows them to then in, grow the dividend yield by 1.5%. And so you got a decent yield on it. They're growing the dividend. It's very mature, but I'd value it as a cash cow. Yes. And, and since I think they've weathered most of the big, you know, technological and earth-shattering uh, technology shifts and viewerships, they migrated that pretty well. I take I take another look at them. Well, I'll tell you on this one, Mo. Uh, back, you see the spike down in '09 in the shop. You know, it was in the spring of '09. I mean, things were getting bad. The market was down. It was down again, down again. We had to lock our windows. I've said that before. And the CBS, uh, I think, uh, IR guy or somebody, we we met him. And our interest at that time was really internet. And we were trying to learn what we could about the migration. It turned out at that moment in time, we're small cap. This market cap got down to about two billion. It, it, today, really? it's thirty. It's $30 billion. Um, and the problem was they had this big piece of debt, and everyone was scared that no bank would ever loan another dime to anyone. It was a big piece of debt that people thought would kill the company. And at the same time, uh, the longtime uh, owner and chairman was selling stock that people thought was a negative move, other than, you know, he knew he was, was going to die. He was estate planning. People got panicked. We had this amazing opportunity to buy it. And at the time, we were looking for Internet-related advertising uh, types of business models. And it turned out CBS, quietly, without telling anyone, had the biggest Internet advertising portal on the web. They, I mean, first, CBS.com is huge. People just wow. going to check information about their favorite sitcom. And, 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 you know, now you can go watch the shows on the Internet. They still, at the core... They put out great content that people get into, and they distribute that. And they own a couple of other great little things too. They own uh, Showtime networks, so they got movie channels on everybody's uh, cable system. And increasingly, Showtime is—I mean—they're working out all these agreements with the studios and all that, just like Netflix and Amazon and iTunes are all dealing with studios. And certainly, Showtime networks is into the movie distribution business, and they're going to get their piece of that. They also own Smithsonian Networks, so there's a nice brand with a lot of educational content that you know parents like. They also own Simon and Schuster, and uh, Pocket Books, and a couple of other things. Um, and they also own an outdoor uh, advertising firm. So there's content, there's distribution. They have navigated, as you've said, Mo, and uh, the valuation is ten times EBITDA. So just how you said cash cow, I'm going to look at that as EBITDA over enterprise value as a cash yield, cash on cash. If we got all our friends together, bought the company for $35 billion or $30 billion, we would get $3.5 billion, and then we could decide what to do with it. 
some of it, of course, has to go to taxes. But as a pre-tax return, that's a fair substitute. And then we get a little bit of growth here. We've been getting 9% on the income line. That's what matters to the equity guys. So in effect, a 10% cash-on-cash yield plus an 8% growth rate, to me, is an 18, 18% total return with a little more than half of it coming in cash as owners. And, and don't forget the dividend, which adds another point. Well, it's, yeah, yeah I mean, you're double-counting a little bit. That, but that is cash in your pocket yep. while you wait. Yep. The balance sheet's pretty good. And in terms of best stocks for 2015, uh, so to be clear, we're calling this is going to be one of the best stocks for 2015, ending December 31st, 2015, and we're on record with that. Yes, now, we'll, be, we'll be back by so, then. But I think that um, part of your scenario has to include some you know, continuing bad news in the world. You know, uh, who knows? Europe goes into a recession. Uh, yes. The Fed raises interest rates. Yes. Somebody defaults. China yeah. blows up a plane somewhere that they shouldn't. You know, bad stuff happens. Even in a downturn, the thing I like about CBS is at the core, they're a low-cost producer. They're a low-cost producer of entertainment. It's cheaper to watch television still. Yep. Than to do almost anything. Well, you know, from a from a from a um, content standpoint, it's interesting because there have been a number of high-profile movie stars that have literally embraced the television genre. You th- you talk to the or listen to these guys talk, and they say the best stuff that's being done today, from a drama standpoint, is on television, because on, yeah. it's on television where the stakes are a little lower they can be a little more artistic and they're not going after for this formula stuff the big budget formulas which increasingly people are watching their critically acclaimed stuff on television so now you got the whole cultural thing going for it too yeah so. the question is why is it down this year right sales are down analyst estimates are down stocks sitting at its 52 week low now i will point out that its 52 week low just happens to be the highest price in you know 20 years other than in this last year right. so the 52 week low is just a little retracement to its you know 20 year high so I keep that in context and I think the reason might be and I don't know I'm just doing as little work as possible and we sold this a long time ago and it turned big cap but you know maybe one of the advertising markets isn't so good uh, ah, you know here, maybe here, 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 here. yeah what? Look at what's look at what these forecasts for sales are. Sales yeah. are going to be down from a fifteen billion to fourteen one. Right. So you know you look through and, and you know we didn't do any homework. I'll yep. just be. Yep. But um, I think that it may be that there's a little bit of a bloom off the rose on uh, television advertising, or it's it's peaky. Mm-hmm. Uh, the internet's coming on strong could be migrating some television advertising toward the internet. We know that's happening, in fact. Whether CBS is losing in that, I don't know. You know, I don't know. But uh, what I'm going to suggest is that whatever it is, um, isn't permanent. It's, uh, you know, a little bit of a reset on an advertising uh, budget. And, and, I, and I would agree with you. And, you know, one of the things you always look for, if a management's relatively honest with you, is that they can telegraph their intentions through either increasing the dividend or buying shares back. And um, these guys just increase the dividend from $0.48 cents to $0.53. Cents. Okay. And usually, if you're looking for a longer-term downturn in your core business, you're not telegraphing that kind of a signal to shareholders that you're increasing your 
uh, your dividend yield unless you want unless you're telegraphing to them that the end is near and you're just going to pay everything out in dividends. <laughs> but aside from that worst case scenario, yeah, it, I think it I think it deserves some looking at. Okay. And oh, next up, Hershey's. Hershey ticker HSY. This is an interesting one, though. Well, you got it right when you said before we went on air. They're not selling chocolate. They're selling pleasure. <laughs> Except I think you did I it with a little reverb joy, on yeah, the microphone. Yeah, pleasure, pleasure. Yeah. And well, I have read. Just is, pre- I have pleasure is 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 a uh, the, the demand for pleasure can be, you know, can be traced back to the cavemen where they had pleasurable drawings on the cave walls. But that's all another show. The fact is, they're selling pleasure. In some way, they are. I, I'm, I've read that the uh, parts of the brain that are affected by love are also affected by chocolate. Um, so there's something. I to, wish I had gone that. for the chocolate versus <laughs> wife number three because yeah. the, well, the chocolate listen, would have been better. Listen, chocolate's also less expensive. Yes, uh, often in the long term, <laughs> it is. But in any case, um, it's a, it's a it's a real interesting one. I'm not sure why it's on the 52 week low. Again, you know, but. Uh, I just see the estimates are down a little bit. Um, some of these things can just be valuation. You know as well as I do, Mo, a guy can change an estimate on the street, go from a buy to a sell. It's fully valued. It takes a breather for uh, eight months, you know, while all the street line up and go to a sell, get you to trade it because you're panicked. It's going down. And then they come back, oh, our analyst just made it a buy. Oh, it's time to get back in. That's their payday. But for long-term investors... It's hard to see what's gone too wrong here, Mo. And uh, the returns on assets are in the mid-teens and growing. Right. The return on equity, I hate to even say what it is because it's in the 50%. And yes, that's partly due to leverage, but it's 55% debt to capital. That means half their capital structure is debt. And when I look, it's been getting better by about five points every year. So they have a big commitment to pay that down. You know, I wouldn't have thought that that a company like Hershey that's as as mature as it is um, could could pursue this kind of a strategy. But this is what what I'm seeing when I look. It's a lot like CBS. Here is a company with solid sales growth. Their sales have been growing at about, you know, six and a half to seven percent. Solid sales growth. But they pushed their margins from 19 percent to 22 percent, the EBITDA margins. So they're squeezing more cash flow out of that uh, sales growth, and they've had an eight, an eight and a half percent increase in, um, I'm sorry, twenty one percent increase in um, dividends per share. Am I reading that right? No, eight point uh, five. Sorry, eight point seven. Just looking out the window there momentarily. Eight point seven percent. Growth of dividends. So you got seven percent growth of sales, squeezing the margins. That means you can grow your dividends faster than oh, you're growing go. your revenues. Dividends. I see. It's, they've doubled in yeah. uh, six years, and it, the yield is two point three percent. I mean, right now for something that's that's not toxic, that's not a bad yield. You tell me if you'd look for something higher than that, even in your portfolio. Well, here's uh, we don't. I don't look for yield particularly, but. Here's the thing about this one. When you think about, again, best stocks of 2015, I look at the uh, enterprise value to EBITDA, 14 and a half. It's traded in a 
9 to 17 range over the last five years. So it's at the high end of the valuation. That very well could be why it's taking a breather. Somebody just said, hey, it's fully valued. I'm going to a hold or you know, whatever they would do. And that might just take the, you know, the, the uh, teeth out of a sales force initiative or whatever. People just back off it. And so, but at 14 and a half, so I flipped it around. I thought, well, not everyone needs a growth stock. You know, again, part of the 2015 is safety from a storm, needs not wants, love is a need, Mo. So chocolate is a need. We all know people that, you know, will go, they'll wear dirty clothes, you know, to the gym, but they'll buy a chocolate. They could have bought a laundry, you know what I'm saying? But no, chocolate. It's, you got to have it. So I flipped that 14 and a half around. Again, enterprise value to... Uh, EBITDA is a multiple. EBITDA to enterprise value is a yield. So 1 over 14.5, I don't want to do all the math here, because, but that's somewhere around 7% as a cash-on-cash cash yield. So if we bought the company, debt and stock, we would be earning a 7% cash yield. Now, that's before taxes and before capital maintenance spending, but uh, you know, chocolate-making machines... So right. you got to wash them and stuff. I mean, come on. Steel versus chocolate. Steel's winning that for a very long time would be my guess. And uh, you, who knows? You replace a few belts. I, I can't imagine that there's a giant maintenance capex here to just maintain capacity. So I'm looking at a 6% yield, 7% yield, cash on cash. And as you just said, they've had 7% sales growth, 12% EBIT growth. Wow. So here's the interesting thing. 9% EBITDA growth but uh, a little bit higher uh, EBIT growth as some of that DNA rolls off, it rolls into uh, And what's great, EBIT. and what's, what's impressive is they've put that productivity to work by growing the dividend, you know, almost 9% on a compounded annual basis yeah, the last so. five years. Almost 9%. It's basically, from 2008 to today, it's doubled. Yeah. So, from about so I like bucks. that one. So... Yeah, if, if for nothing else, for the safety of the yield plus a relatively right. decent story and, and look, good-looking fundamentals. And again, looking out a full year, because this is a, what? This has got to be one of the longest prognostications in Walsh. We're not waiting till like December or January to predict 2015. We're doing it in now. Uh, September. Now. We don't mess around. So That way you can listen to the same show right. every every month for the next 12 or months. Or listen to last year's shows. They're yeah. good. I, know, I don't know. But anyway, I... I think you got to take into consideration some rough waters ahead, and I know chocolate's pretty safe. And speaking of rough waters, your next name is a rough water company. Well, thank you, Mo. Uh, another stock on the 52-week low list, Oceaneering Inter International, OII. Uh, these guys are an oil service company, in effect, for water, deep water drilling. And I'll just read what it says here. They provide engineered services and products to the offshore oil and gas industry. So if you can keep the, a thesis simple, I think it's best. So in and this it, case... And if you look at the size of the service and product markets yes. worldwide... Yes, if you do, yes. It's a billion-trillion-dollar market that they're playing. It's a, Because services... Plus products equals double that. You just double it. GDP. Well, I think that's <laughs> and that's right. the and business that they're in. Well, they serve energy, which I think is around eighteen percent of world GDP, something like that. They're certainly one of the big three. Um, 
But the question is, here's my thesis. Will we be using oil and gas in the future? Will it grow at the rate of GDP? Here's my conclusion, yes. Why? Because all the power that we'd like to explore here, wind and solar and all these clean sources that don't make anyone sick, we're a rich country that needs stuff to do so we can spend money on these things to help our own health. In China and India and places where people still don't have clean water, they're going to still just use stuff that's uh, not too bad. You know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, they're not burning wood, but some places they actually are. So oil and gas are going to last a long time, and those are the fastest growing places in the world. The other thing I, I know is that they found a lot of oil and gas on land. They have not found as much in deep water, in part because the technology had not advanced enough to go deep in the ocean. You need to go in places that are three and four you know, miles deep and two miles deep and stuff like that. The Gulf, the North Sea, shallow areas, they've been well mined but are well drilled. But in these deeper uh, locations, and we know they're remapping all these areas with more sophisticated technology to know exactly where these pockets of oil are. And so this stuff's going to go offshore. And these guys provide a lot of stuff to do that. Uh, they have a division called subsea products. So if you're underwater with a wellhead that has to be capped and pipes need to go up to a surface vessel and all that, they, they have all that. They can build those things. They can service them. They have manned diving units that go down to make sure nothing's going wrong down on the ocean floor where the oil's coming up. You know. And then they have uh, all the services around all that. So uh, including submarines and all kinds of things. Anything underwater they can help you with. They don't do the drilling. They help the drillers do all the other stuff, including a lot of safety and maintenance. I mean, they've got submarines with claws that can move things around and switch pipes around and things like that. So it's a growing business. They've been growing the top line at 11%. They've been growing net income at 13%, EBITDA at 12%. And the thing that caught my eye a lot of these oil service companies are, are at their 52-week low right now. I own a couple of them, including Gulfmark, which I'll throw out as an idea, uh, which has uh, ships that do... This. These guys are underwater. Gulfmark is on the top of the water. And they're near their 52-week low. I think what's happening is we're seeing a bit of a decline in backlogs. Uh, oil prices are coming off a little bit. You know, you'd think the uncertainty in the Middle East would drive more demand, but we've got some weaker economies. China's getting a little soft, Europe. So there's some near-term weakness that's causing these valuations to get cheap. But long-term, oil and gas are low-cost ways to make electricity and industrial products in emerging nations, no matter what we do. And for that reason, I like it, Mo. It's a good valuation here. Well, you know, it's interesting that this company only started to pay. Again, I'm going to focus on the dividend because they have, they've got a dividend yield of 1.7%. Anytime you look at this, while that may pale in comparison to what the upside could be, you're getting a little bit paid to sit back and wait with this. So when I looked at it, I realized, you know, they, they only started paying a dividend in 2011, and it was like 45 cents. And in 2012, they kicked it up to 70 cents and then 80 cents, and then this year it's a buck. So they've been very aggressively raising that dividend. I don't know if there's a cap on where they intend to take that, take that dividend as a, as a percentage of their free cash flows, but even their free cash flows, which exist, they, they can continue to grow that for some time. 
The other thing I would be always be interested to look at is, is this mostly owned in only, you know, oil funds or, you know, I, I bet you if you look at the bottom part of our chart, you look at the, it within almost any value line chart, you're going to see who are the biggest fund holders. It would be interesting to just look. I mean, I noticed that this is the, the Magellan Fund, Peter Lynch's old fund. Um, you know, if you look at uh, if you look up the, the the fundamentals of the five funds that own this, sometimes you get a pretty good idea what the the personality base is. Are these aggressive growth funds? Are they utility funds? Are they in this for the dividend? And sometimes you can find that out just by googling what is the uh, you know the what is the majority fund this day these days what is it in there for why is it in the the uh, the new burger genesis fund is that a oil services fund is it what is it so my, that might give you a, an interesting look at who the uh, kinds of owners these are so you can line up your own investing personality with theirs hmm. well uh, I, I don't know I sound dubious those are all, well they're just they look like just large cap this, the market cap on this thing is uh, $7 billion. So if we were doing a small cap show, this would actually fall outside the range of what we would do in the shop. It's a little too big. There's 20 analysts covering it. So, it's a lot of info. Yeah. So, I mean, while I look at, we did the screen, uh, what's going to be the best stock of 2015, I would say these are $5 billion and over. And I just want to say I did that for the listener, Mo, so they would have heard of many of these companies versus our normal menu is stocks no one ever heard of. Right. And someone's wife is listening with them, and they're going, oh, let's turn this off. I never heard of any of these. So it's like we got Hershey in there for the ladies. CBS. You know, things yeah. people for the heard. guys. Even Football. Oceaneering, it's got the word ocean. And I thought, people have heard of that, sure. right? People have so, heard of it, and it's very green. And so, you know, it's a wind at your back. You know, uh, oil, I think, and gas are going to be somewhat steady providers of fuel for creating and electricity and uh and and the the nations they're serving are growing a little bit faster than we are so while we're going to these more sophisticated sources of energy that you know some people think are less polluting we have a worldwide uh, demand yeah that's right so that's what i like about it and i think that notion will weather any stormy seas in 2015 well so so here is uh, the next up is another one of your picks, W.W. Granger, and their ticker symbol is GWW. And I didn't look at this as closely as you did. And what were you seeing when you pulled this out? Well, Mo, I think that's a very good question. What did I see? And the first thing I saw, one of the nice things about a screen, and I've said this, of course, many times, is that what I do know is this is within 10% of its 52-week low, and it's a pretty good company. So again, if you just need an inbox of stuff to kind of while away over the weekend, you know, you can't just go to the beach and just look at the, you know, water the whole time. You need something to look at. So there's a few stocks laying around that you're like, hmm, what, the 52-week low? Granger is a historically one of the best. They serve an industry called uh, MRO, maintenance, repair, and then uh, O, Whatever that is, I used to know. Maintenance Repair Organization. There we go, MRO, Maintenance Repair Organization. And the thing about this is I didn't quite understand this, but we owned back, I mean, again, 25 years ago I was at a firm, we owned a company called Barnes Group, ticker B. So they've been around a long time. And they had this little business with an amazing operating margin. And you're like, why is that so high? Well, it was MRO, and the thing is, some factory... Has a has a bunch of machines and people. They got a a thousand guys. They got you know 
20 million dollars worth of equipment it's turning stuff out and all of a sudden like a screw breaks and they don't have any extra ones and every moment that thing's not running is costing them fifty thousand dollars every every hour or whatever so they need that screw they need it right now so here you have you know this old company barnes or granger this is what granger does they make sure you have everything in stock for your whatever process it is. I, it doesn't say here, but I'm going to guess they have, you know... It just has products and services. Yeah, products and services. I'm going to just make a wild guess, and listener can write in. I'm going to best they have close to a million SKUs. So stock-keeping units, individual screws, levers, wrenches, wires, you know, who knows? I, I, can't, I'm a, I don't know. Millions of things that keep America's businesses running. Anything that you need. Uh for all your industrial processes, electrical, uh, uh, conveyance equipment, computers. And a number of years ago, they in the bubble years, 01, they built the most sophisticated online computer order entry system way ahead of their time. The stock got punished for overspending on it. It's all depreciated now. But they have one of the most responsive, almost international databases of where every part is in their system and where all their customers needs are so they just keep you smoothly running you don't have to invest in inventory and if your machine is down and costing you fifty thousand dollars an hour they will fly you that part now they're going to bill you three grand right, right but at that moment it's worth three grand so that's why when you look at their margins this company is putting up mid-teens returns on assets. That's not return on equity, ladies and gentlemen. Assets, that's a rare number. You're going to see an average in the, t- in the mid-single digits for American companies. And they've been like that for 30 years. They just know what they're doing. And then return on equity, mid-20s, why isn't it higher than that? They don't want any more leverage than that. They're levered. They've got 16 17% debt to equity, 15% debt to capital. Beautiful. And they do a consistent margin in the teens that grows about 50 basis points a year. How do they do that? Because they're the best. That's why. Their sales grow. They only had one down year on the page here. And that was, of course, in 2009 when banks stopped loaning anyone money because of the uh, mark-to-market rule, really. And we've had, show, we've had shows on that in the past. But as a result, part of what they serve as an inventory function, banks wouldn't, you know finance it so they 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 imploded as everyone did at that moment in time Uh, but aside from that just beautiful company my only issue valuation 12 times EBITDA I don't like that it's toward the high end of the range by the way the market's toward the high end of the range and so but then I'm going to look at that as an 8% cash on cash yield at a time that bonds are delivering too so I like that you get a little bit of growth here which has been uh, 11% on EBITDA I might look at that as close to a 20% total return opportunity with some safety to it in case this crazy whoever knows what's going to happen in 15. And that's how it made the best stocks of 2015. Before you, before you sign off, just tell me something. I, when I, I always look at the prices of these things and I, and I look for a clean track record, as it were, and pretty much everyone that we've looked at in the whole group screened in terms of price performance, great 2010, 11, 12, 13, oops, in 2014, which is why we're looking at them. Right. Here, but here's a company that in 2012, in the middle of that nice 
series of performance had a pretty crummy year, only 8% up in its stock price. Not bad, but relatively speaking, not as great as some of our other companies. And I looked down and it looked like earnings didn't change, dividend yield, well, dividend yield went up because the stock didn't do much and they did raise the dividend. But I can't figure out, so whatever happened in 2012, I would want to know what that was and it's not repeatable before I jump feet first into 2014 because something clearly happened there and you tell me. Oh, in the early part of 2012? Something happened where the stock just didn't perform and uh, I'm not seeing why. Well, we have had, as everyone may know, slower than typical GDP growth during these recovery years. It's been about half of what other recoveries have been. There's a lot of speculation as to why that is. Part of it is demographics. Older people retire. The baby boom's beginning to retire. I mean, some of this was predictable. The other part is due to, you know, austerity, government spending in a lot of places, state, local, and federal, people don't maybe realize this, was a negative contributor to GDP up until about last quarter. So going forward, that's going to reverse out. And I think, you know, the likelihood that GDP stays flattish to grows toward its historical norm of two, three, three and a half percent. I, I think there's a reasonableness to that. But my guess is the, the reason it's come under pressure versus historically is they are pretty well tied in some, you know, top line way anyway, to GDP growth um, plus expansion into geographic areas, which is getting harder and harder for them as they get bigger. There's fewer and fewer places to expand into. Um, I didn't dig into this in terms of what their strategy is, but I believe they're beginning to do more internationally, bring the same systems and logistics expertise that they've employed here to other places in Europe, and and I'm not sure if they're in Asia or not, but uh, my, my guess is there's a little bit of that. But clearly GDP uh, slowdown has been part of the uh, picture for for these guys. I wonder what the percentage of retail ownership of the stock is because at 253 bucks they could they could do a stock split and uh, probably see a little performance come out of just the split. It's true. So you know it's a in an institutional world 250 bucks doesn't mean much, but for a reason. Well, it's a full day of parking been... downtown. I'll tell <laughs> yeah, you that. Yeah, yeah a maybe. complete full day. Maybe. But uh, yeah, wouldn't it be nice to see a heads up out there? You know. Um, Mr. Ryan, I think, runs the company. Split your stock. Yeah, good free free, call. free advice good call. from the value guys. All right, well, let me just summarize that. We've picked the four best stocks of 2015, months before others will, uh, and they are CBS Corporation, uh, Hershey Corp., Granger, and Oceaneering, and we're going to check back in on that. And then... Uh, Next year. I, next year sometime. And then I guess this is the part of the show where we uh, do walking through national economic trends, which, again, we're completely unprepared for. I don't know if you want to do that. And what we do is we Google. Go ahead. We do? We're going to do this live here? Wow. All right. Wow. it's a lot of pressure. National, national economic, economic trends. trends. This is at the St. Louis Federal Reserve. So long-time listeners of the show know I've been talking about this for a long time. And... Uh, and so, uh, you know, you... wants to know if I trust the yeah, Fed. We, I wasn't sure well, whether I should say... Well, it added that block. Do you trust this website? Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know how your computer works here, Mo, but we're, we're on a page here. Um, and we probably need to uh, back up to see the full page. And that, that looks like the first page. 
That is the first page. So this is updated national economic trends, St. Louis Federal Reserve. Well, they're only giving uh, us through October. They're only giving us three pages. Three so maybe yep. Three pages. Well, There's been some budget cuts. Um, national economic trends. What about this PDF? Or maybe that oh that's page three. Yeah, right. that's why you were only getting right. page three. Here, let's see this national economic okay, here, we here we go. Published issue. Beautiful. You're way better at this than I am. There you national go. economic okay. trends. Okay. Oh, all right. Oh. Okay. So we're paging through. Uh, GDP looking good. four percent. Look at that consumer price index. Yeah. Yay. All right? Does down. that mean we well, the Consumer we Price Index that? just put up a low number. Everyone's worried about the Fed increasing rates um, and, you know, you know, slowing down the, the bond repurchases. And, of course, here you got uh, no real reason to do that exactly. with, uh, exactly. with inflation under control. But I think that you are seeing inflation right now, Mo, big time in the stock market. You know, oh, it's just yeah. people are putting their money there. But um, let's see. Industrial production looking okay. Interest, Interest rates, rates trending down. That's cool. Unemployment rate. Look at that. People were complaining about that. It's gone from nine to six over the last four years. Look at this. Non-farm payrolls actually looking pretty good. This trend in fourteen, a consistently higher level of new jobs. What about farm payrolls? I don't. They don't list that here. I'm sure they're great. Hmm. I'm sure farms, great. Uh, there's your flat uh, GDP, I guess. Very flat. I don't know. What's jumping out here? Inventories. All normal there, ladies and gentlemen. Well, looks like the economy's yeah. in good shape, everybody. <laughs> Let's just and call it. Tune in next no, year when we pick up. Wait, hold on. Uh, I'm just trying to look for something here that's going to jump out. I'm just paging through. Interest, interest rates, rates over 30 years just on a long-term downward trend. And I think that's in part due to just simply, um, you know, total demand for expensive things have gone down. You know, baby boomers bought what they needed. And since that time, the generations behind them are buying less. So cost, price of money goes down. And the, the generation of capital has reduced the price of money, I think is important to note. Uh, well, that's interesting. Standard & Poor's 500 index with reinvested dividends is sitting at 25% for um, three years. Yeah. That's historic. People, I mean, the market's actually been great. And only 40% of the or 48% of the country, I should say, is even invested in the stock market in any way. Well, those guys are happy. So the rest of you guys that oh, are well. sitting on the couch, get out there. They're not listening. Maybe it's in their pension fund, though. No, they think they count that. Oh, they're counting yeah. that. Darn not in my pension fund. I don't know. Compensation per hour under control. National uh, economic trends. Yeah. That's, hey, they stole hey, that they from stole, us. <laughs> that's the name of our Wait segment. We could sue them What's for going on with that. Let's see. Ooh, unemployment coming way down. That's nice, everyone. Uh, oh, look at this. Job openings continues to rise. This is a sign of a heating up economy. There's nothing going negative in that line. Job openings. Yeah. Real disposable. disposable. I dispose all of my income. Real <laughs> and not so, Many people. not so real. That's not so great relative to history. But again, that's a GDP problem. Right. Consumption has uh, stayed good. So the combination of those two isn't great. 
Personal savings rate. Moving oh, up towards yeah. six. That's that's not too bad. Living with your mom will do that. Well, yeah, that's fine. Hey, when's dinner? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mom, I had dinner already. Uh, oop. Real residential fixed investment. This is the housing boom. Looks like it's rolling over a little bit. Yeah, and already there's some articles that have been out and, you know, seeking alpha about uh, the possibility of a retrenchment in California. But then look at this. New home sales going up. That doesn't make any sense. Going up for less. That's the economy for you. Confusing. Uh, Ooh, federal debt. Leveling off at 100% of GDP. Unprecedented. We're just barely not a banana republic. I think we're just a, uh, an you asparagus know, republic. It was, it, was, <laughs> it was half a GDP for half of our country. Oh, my. Now it's yeah. changing federal debt going down. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of, that's sort a good of, trend. Sort of positive. Um, nothing going. You know, I would have thought that the exchange rates would have been. been all whacked out because of all the international stuff, and I've never—I don't look at this stuff, but it doesn't look pretty as steady, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, trade balance, awesome. Real GDP of major trading partner. Yeah, you see how all those look like they're not putting up numbers since this beginning of fourteen. That's because yeah, they're all worldwide. zero. Yeah. Europe in recession. Yeah, it appears, or close to it. Like the component share of national income, corporate I profits. I don't know. I don't know about that. What, what, what's that one say? Corporate profits. Yeah, corporate profits. Where where'd uh, that go? Let's see. I just there was our uh, trading partners. Yeah. Output. Non-profit. Feel free to log off at this point, ladies and gentlemen. Back, the show might be slowing this. down a little bit. Oh, that oh, looks pretty good. Right there. Whoop. Oh, oh, right oh. There. Corporate profits. Oh, look at that. Near record highs. Yeah. And compensation record lows. That's There's why. no comparison to no. There's don't no look linkage. at that, ladies There's and gentlemen. No linkage, don't no. look at that man behind the curtain. Um, hmm. I don't know. Oh, there's some forecasts in here toward the back too. You can see what the uh, prognosticators think. I don't know. I think. Uh, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The value guys take on the 2015 economy. Steady as she goes from the Val side over here. I think it might get a little better. GDP growth's going to get a little better. Interest rates, the Fed said just the other day they're going to keep them flat, but they're going to raise them more down the road. That could be 2016. We've got a lot of companies just getting into a good period here in terms of demand and sales growth and momentum. So I'm going to say, and that's about you, we're going to have a pretty good 2015 in the economy with better GDP than this year and a continuing strengthen the stock market with the best names of next year being right here, the ones we talked about on the show, Oceaneering, Hershey, CBS, and Granger, the best. Yep. You got a favorite of all those? Uh, Oceaneering because oil seems to be a little bit out of favor, and that's a mistake right now. And I'll go with Hershey just because they've had a, you know, an eight, almost a 9% growth in their dividend yield, and you're getting a nice dividend, and I like being paid to sit around and wait for good things to happen. So that's our two best ideas. We'll see you next year. Next year. So long, everybody.